Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. My name's Panos. I'm joined by my good brother, Luke Badman. How are you, man? What's going on, boys and girls? It's very good to have us back on. It's so fun. And today we don't have a guest, so we promised to get this episode out. We're going to be revising. <laughs> the funny story is we're supposed, well, sort not like supposed to, but like we're lining up a guest, um, but then we weren't really paying attention to um, time zones because it's like it's like dinner time here in Australia and our guest is in well, who we're trying to get on is in California. It's like 2 a.m. in California right now. So obviously that's not going to work. We'd have to do it like morning time for us, probably evening time for them. We have had it um, once. Remember when we had um um oh, what was uh, the name again? Um, uh, the lady from the shelter. The, the, I know the her name. Shelter I just, work. I'm going to say Wolf, it the way Wolf that it's mother. not pronounced. Is that yeah? Was yes. it Wolf, Sahara Wolf is how I see it, but I'm yeah. sorry because I've Sahara. I think it was you said That's such right. a such a cool name, not a not a boring name like Luke. So I, I can't remember. <laughs> no, she, she was awesome, but she 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 was on at like was it twelve thirty one o'clock in the morning when she was talking yeah, to us. Yeah, it was like it was dinner hilarious. time for us, and she was on the <laughs> west coast too, which means it's even like the time zone's even worse. Anyway, but sure. I digress. We are back, so we we promised we we're going to talk about um, puppies. We are going mm. to be revising some of the advice because some of the advice that we shared was like four years old. Things have changed. We've evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, the advice will, will be pretty much the same. However, there will, there will be a few adjustments. Mm. I haven't actually listened recently to those episodes. So I don't know what I'm including or what I'm not. So I'm going to go as an, we're going to cover this as an over, like a like we're going to review it. Mm. To go into more detail about specific things, we're going to tell you to go back to listen to certain episodes. Let's but, do um, it with a, 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 a clean, clean slate. A clean slate. Yeah. Canvas is fresh. We, we're going to paint. So the first thing we should talk about, you're bringing your puppy home. Before the puppy comes to your house, you should have already a crate and an exercise pen mm-hmm. set up, ready to go. So mm-hmm. um, just so you know, a crate is a box, essentially. There's, there's a lid, there's sides, and there's a door. So that way they're – and when I say box, it's different to the pen, which is just a play pen. Um, which yeah. just goes around. So the crate looks like a cage, but it's a crate. <laughs> exactly. So what's the point of the crate? What's the point of the pen? The crate is where your puppy will be going inside to be sleeping. And the only thing your puppy does inside the crate is rest and lay down. There is no playing in there. We don't want the dog to do a toilet in there. So the point of crate training, ideally at the at the beginning is to teach the puppy, you're going to sleep in there. And every few hours, I'll be taking you out to go to the toilet and you go back inside the crate. And eventually, the idea is that he can sleep through the inside the crate throughout the night, eight hours. And first thing in the morning, you take your puppy to the desired place to go toilet. And throughout the day, randomly, your puppy's going into the crate. You should be training that so that you can generalize when the puppy goes in there. If you're in, if you're in an apartment living, as far as I'm concerned, it's 100% must. Crate train your dog because you'll be so happy for it. Thoughts, sir? I can't think of any... Uh, yes, definitely like apartments, but the flip side of that is I actually can't think of anyone who wouldn't benefit from crate training mm-hmm. in my books. I think like it, it's the single best thing I've ever done in terms of, you know, what, what we've done in terms of sh- training shadow. To give you an example, it's, it's, it's a management tool, right? So like there's a lot of situations, especially now, I think now, now that we have a baby, 10 week old baby, it's actually starting to pay dividends a bit more. Like there's just certain times when, Hey, shadow, just go in the crate, man, go and hang out, chill out. Um, you know, like for example, if let's say, you know, me is Rach has to put Mia down for a sec and she's got to just step into the other room. Like I'm not, we're not going to leave shadow unattended. It doesn't matter how cool he is how cool anyone is. Like, it's just, it's just how it is. So he goes in the crate, right? Uh, if a postie comes, he goes in the crate because he tends to guard the house. So I'll put him in there just to calm him down. Um, when we go on holidays, if we go to an Airbnb, I take the crate with us, Perfect. you know, because most of these Airbnbs, like, even if they allow dogs, you know, they're generally, I wouldn't say strict, but like there's certain rules, right? They don't want the dog and the furniture and stuff like that, which I think is totally fair. And I wouldn't let Shadow do that anyway. Um, we went down the coast a few months ago and, and we took the crate with us and, you know, it allowed us to go to dinner. Go and, yeah. Go. Yeah, man. Go to dinner or just like go for one hour, two hours in the middle of the day to go and do something there where we didn't necessarily want to take shadow with us. And we knew he was safe and secure at the sure. rental 
uh, property. Well, how about if you have the trader come over for a few hours, everything needs to be open, the backyard included, because, you know, we also want your puppy to be accustomed and, and to be comfortable with staying in the backyard. But, um, but we'll get to that point in a moment. But the crate there, just it becomes such a handy tool. Now, just so you know, if you want to get more of ins and outs of how to start crate training, just type in on our, wherever you're getting your podcast from, just type in crate training and in our podcast, the episode will come up. So, but at first there is no, you can. So I just got clients that I just saw today. I saw two puppies today. And one of them, they've got like a 10-week-old little cavoodle, the thing sleeping in the in the crate all night next to their bed, inside the crate, not the doors shut up until when they have to wake up in the morning and the puppy goes to the toilet. So they've got um, a perfect situation. I'm also going to talk about the other puppy where it's opposite and it's not going to plan. But um, but the point here is that there is no massive pressure about getting that fresh eight-week-old puppy into that crate um, because we're going to utilize the pen to begin with. But real quickly, with crate training, what becomes really amazing if the breeders have gone out of their way and start crate training some of their puppies, it just makes life so much easier when you have it. So if you are looking at getting a puppy, maybe it's worth asking the breeder if they do or not. You can't make them do it, but it'd be it'd be cool if they do. The pen is where your puppy can play, pee. There's a little you put a little pee mat there or the synthetic grass tray. Puppy can go to the toilet there, play as much as they want. You have the crate inside the pen or you have the, the pen connected to the crate to kind of give a bit more stability and you keep the door open and that's where the dog's bed is. So your puppy goes into the into the bed and goes to sleep and comes in as you please. So to begin with, you don't have to start crate training. You can start doing that a little bit later as long as you've got a safe place for your puppy to be. Now, for me and you, it seems like such a no-brainer. Yeah, of course you put your puppy in the pen when you go to have a shower. What do you mean? You just let the puppy run around and pee and poo everywhere and, you know, get into all the things it's not supposed to and destroying the staff and, you know, the list goes on. So anytime that you're going to be unattended 100% has to be in the pen and especially mm. when you guys like you know when the family or any individuals in the house you still want to put your puppy in the pen it's another big mistake most people go well when we're away the puppy goes in the pen but when we're home he's always out and then you put the puppy inside the pen when you want to have a friend over or you're mopping the floor or something the puppy freaks out and doesn't freak out when you go so it's very contextual dogs and puppies see life in pictures oh, I only go in here to sleep at 8 o'clock at night and I don't have to go in here at 12 o'clock midday for an hour. So that's really important. Another thing that I wouldn't have included back in the day was it seemed, I'm just seeing it more. I'm sure it always happened, but puppies climbing out of the pen, super frustrating for people. You put your puppy in the pen to contain the them. Play and then pen they, has a, uh, an expiry date, let's say, yeah, depending they, on the breed. Look, I see a lot of cavoodles doing it. It just happens mm. to be that. But I see all different types of breeds all at different ages. They climb up it. They don't jump over it. They're climbing up like it's a ladder. <laughs> and then what happens is when they get to the top, they put like their little a, back it's legs. Like a, uh, it's like a cage match. It's like WWE cage match. 100%. A little, a little Houdini. One thing um, just on the topic of, you know, not just having the dog like as in, like you said, not just showing the dog, hey, you go in there at 8 o'clock and out at 8 a.m., but like showing them to go in there at various other times. One thing that I usually suggest as helpful is like use the dog's um, use the dog's tiredness to your advantage. So if you've been for a walk, the dog's tired, you've done a training session, the dog's tired, put the dog in there when it's already at that end of the, Perfect. let's say the battery level is like is towards the bottom. Um, and then over time, what happens is you get that condition response. And I was like, oh, this is, I go here and I, I start to feel a bit sleepy. I'm calm. I'm relaxed. I chill out. Right. Perfect. And then it becomes Perfect. like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Definitely. Very good advice. To the point about puppies getting out, getting a pool noodle. So there's pool noodles like the kids kind of um, hold on to when they're swimming in the pool. You cut that in half. Like, so long ways, you cut halfway down the, I guess you cut the radius. Am I saying that right? And then you got yeah, to cut it that lengthways, yeah. Lengthways. And you so got to pop looks that. like two noodles cut in half, yeah? Yeah, but you don't want to go all the way. So, yeah, so just a little bit so it can pop on top. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you so just you make cut a it. cut, I see. So you can almost like open it. You like you want to make a slit, so like if you can cut halfway yeah, yeah. through, you can wedge it onto the. You pop it fence, on the top right? of the yeah. of the um the playpen. So then, as soon as the puppy starts to climb up, it cannot get a grip on this it's big wide thing. Yeah, slippery and falls off. So you may want a cable tie too, because some puppies make it creative and pull it down with their teeth. Um, or you, if the puppy is a lot more resilient and stronger, then PVC pipe for the exact same thing, and that way they're obviously their PVC pipe or some conduit is super strong. Um, and it's very firm, so it's very, very slippery. 
And it also, if you do get something a bit more firmer, it does lock the pen into its shape a little bit better rather than it being a bit flimsy. And a lot of people have issues with the playpen on the bare ground. So Bunnings will give you like a rule, like you can like, so like at a warehouse shop, what, what do you call Bunnings? Um, Just for international like, people. Like a Home Depot kind of thing. Yep. You um like a hard plastic. So when the tile, like for example, when tilers are doing the work and you don't want the floor to get ruined, you have like a hard plastic sort of flooring. It's not really thick, but it's not really thin. I'd suggest getting something a little bit bigger than the pen, putting that on the ground so it's not scratching the floorboards and um, just protecting from urine and stuff like that. So that's your puppy's bedroom. That's where your puppy goes to bed. That's where your puppy hangs out when you want him to be um, on his own. It's it's invaluable. You, uh, As far as I'm concerned, it's like it's almost a must. If you can't do that for whatever reason, a laundry with a crate inside of it and have a baby gate on the laundry door. You also want to start getting the puppy used to being in the outside in the backyard. If you do have a backyard or a courtyard that's safe, obviously making sure it's puppy proofed. Puppy can't get under the fence, through the fence, or over the fence. And making sure like toxic plants are, are out and you know, you're you're securing the whole space, like so wherever your puppy's mouth can reach are only things that you don't mind getting destroyed, I guess. Um and I won't get to heaps of detail about puppy proofing. It's kind of a no-brainer in terms of common sense. Um, whatever you leave out for your puppy, you've already said goodbye to it. Um, if you have plants that you like, star pickets and chicken wire around those and just make sure your puppy doesn't get into it. And, um, and for example, so where people can struggle with the crate training. So um, so one of, them, one of my clients today, for example, was really successful. The other ones are kind of halfway there. They're like, eight, or maybe a bit more, 80% there. At 10 o'clock at night, puppy goes into the, the crate. Not in the pen, inside the crate. Crate doors closed at about 1.30. <laughs> puppy needs to go to the toilet. Again, if the puppy's in the pen for the whole entire night, you're not waking up at any time throughout the night because the puppy can just pee on the pad whenever it wants or pee wherever it wants. You clean up in the morning. But in the crate, you don't want them to be going to toilet in there. So you wake up, you put the puppy on the lead in the backyard or wherever the toilet spot is. Puppy goes to the toilet, 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 good boy, straight back into the crate. He'll sleep then until 4 o'clock. The four o'clock pee will happen and it is like maniac. He's, as soon as he goes back into the crate at four o'clock, 4.30, it's mayhem. And after 20 minutes, that's, and again, this is a fresh session. So they said 20 minutes, they're gone. We can't handle it. Hold the puppy for about 10 minutes. Puppy goes to sleep, put it, puts the puppy back into the crate and then he can sleep until six. The guy wakes up at 5.30 to go to work. So there's a bit of like activity and that's kind of the time that the puppy's kind of been awake. What I would have done is because they said, look, we waited 20 minutes. We didn't wait for him to stop. I think if they waited that little bit extra, he would have gone through an extinction burst. Mm. And there is an episode that we talked in detail about what an extinction burst is. So definitely go check that out. It's basically when a behavior becomes more intense before it stops. So the puppy will whimper, whimper and scratch, scratch and bark, bark and howl, howl and scream, 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 and boom, the puppy stops. And that's when- yeah. One way of describing it is like a zero to 10 scale, right? So your puppy could could cry, scream, do whatever up to an intensity of 10, 10 out of 10, let's say. Now, so what the extinction burst does is it goes from zero to maybe five, six, seven, who knows, like pick a number, let's say it gets to eight. Now, if the puppy realizes that that behavior is unsuccessful, it's not getting reinforced, what happens? The behavior goes extinct, right? So he gives up. Stops. Yeah, yeah, it stops. Now, the issue is if you, for example, let him out at, at any point during that behavior, let's say uh, he's at a five, he's at a six, he's at a seven, you let him out. He's like, cool. So tomorrow we start at seven. Exactly. Then the next time I want to come out, I start at seven. So and zero your to 10 six has now become a new one. Is, Exactly. Yeah. Zero It'll to become six a 10, no 11, 12, yeah. 15. It's like, oh, now we're talking like ridiculous yep. behavior. So, but then what I said to him was, in that case, the the crate is in their room. So I'm like, just put the crate in another room where you can't hear the noise as much. And we're going to get to the point where that that last period, that last, like they said, that four o'clock where he's freaking out. I know we know that he can. He can comfortably. He, they should go in the crate. He'll comfortably go into the crate, close the door. He knows of being there for the whole entire night. It's just that last bit because it's. Something's happened. He's been reinforced for it, and now it's just occurring more. It's either just let that ride through because he's not truly having like a proper panic attack. He's just kind of being like, you know, more of like a tantrum. 
I would then suggest if that's the case, then at four o'clock, you'd put the puppy into the pen and he just hangs out in the pen until we wake up. You probably still get some noise. And then we can just, we can all, the puppy's only 14 weeks old. We can address crate training whenever. Like it's not the top of the list. We just need them to get through a night of sleep. Um, so my, my point here is that even if you started doing like having the whole setup, pen and crate, but then only start doing the crate training at four months old, that's still cool as well. You want to start it at, you know, the later, the harder it is, obviously, and it takes a little bit longer, but that's the advice with that. And then, and that puppy was getting out. So then I put the pool noodles on. So they're going to feel a lot more better putting him in there. But throughout the day, that puppy will also spend time in the backyard. In the backyard, doors closed. He'll be there for about half an hour, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. He's calm and relaxed. They let him back in. So now at around six months old, ideally we get rid of the pen. We've only got the crate for nighttime to sleep. And the puppy will then at six months old be spending the day in the backyard and intermittently throughout the day in the backyard. And of course, in the house when you're around. And then around about 12 months old, you can probably stop crate training. You don't have like a crating. You don't have to put him in the crate every single night. If you're happy to either have him in the backyard or they they know how to be in your house and you've structured your, and you've managed the puppy enough that he doesn't destroy your house. He knows how to live in your house. Then you can sleep wherever he wants. I don't care. Um, at least you've done it for the first 12 months of crate training. So that, that way that you can always utilize the crate when you need it. Um, anything else about the crate in the pen setup? Yeah, I, you know, personally, like Shadow still lives in the crate at almost three years of age. Um, I, it's not like he doesn't like it. So I can't really, for personally, and, I don't really see any reason like why I would stop. But totally, you know, it doesn't, that like doesn't mean the dog either does or doesn't have to be in there for the rest of its life. Um, but Shadow's just so used to it now. I don't, if he didn't sleep there, I don't know where he would, to be honest. For sure. Look, so at my house, like I could put Chili in the crate tonight and he'll go to sleep, but. I just put them in the backyard and they sleep outside. So, yeah. you know, like, and, and again, if you, if you create, if you create him every night to go to sleep, that is also okay. I just thought I'd put it out there that at around about 12 months, you, you, you can stop as long as the puppy knows how, how to be in a crate for whatever reason he's injured, you're moving, you know, you're on holiday, whatever. Um, all right. So the next thing we're going to talk about is showing your puppy the world. Showing your puppy the world is probably the most important thing, the number one thing that you sh- that every puppy owner should know. We've probably talked about it to um, to nausea on nauseam on this um, podcast because it's so important. That critical period between the first seven and seventeen weeks, no, sorry, between seven and seventeen weeks of your puppy's life is called that critical period of development, which means we have to expose them to everything that they're going to be seeing in the world in that time, so that. As they grow up, they are habituated and socialized with people, dogs, different type of animals, um, noises, sounds, cars, traffic, you know, um, crowds of people, lightning, nighttime walk, raining, windy. You you name, like you think about anything that you're exposed to in the world, you want your puppy to experience in this time. Now, of course, the most important thing here that we have to address, and again, we're not going to go into the most intense detail about you know this. You can listen to episode three. We talk all about that um, right at the beginning. But parvovirus is what can be, and there's a whole bunch of other different pathogens that can be deadly to your puppy. And vets are going to say, don't take your puppy out until their last vaccination. And we also know that that last vaccination is normally around 16 weeks old, which means now we have a choice to make. So I want everybody here to to hear and I and. I put this out to every one of my clients in the introductory video before I see them is that I give them the options. You need to understand that there's a critical period of development. You need to get your puppy out. You also need to know that your vet's going to say, don't take them out until they're fully vaccinated. How do we meet halfway? I think if everybody has the facts for themselves, because I know we're not just talking about somebody who lives in metropolitan Sydney, we're talking to people all across the world. So you need to know, first of all, how prevalent is disease in your environment? So speaking to vets, there's heaps of online resources where, where people like kind of have to report where dogs are getting sick from or whatever. Parvovirus in particular can live in the soil for up to a year from an infected dog um, defecating in that spot. So that soil can be contaminated. If a puppy comes in contact with it, they can get parvovirus and they can die. So how do we combat that? Well, in Sydney, in the last in almost 12 years, I've been giving this advice from the beginning and none of my clients have, have um, and their puppies have ever contracted um, any disease from early walking and exposure to the world. So for me, I can say with with confidence that get the puppy out. Oh, today we just walked a couple of puppies up and down the street. 
showing as long as if you want to be super stick safe, to the hard surfaces six of the hard surfaces mm. don't get them on on um, in hard, highly dog populated areas and also just not let them walk on the grass if you want to be careful and not sniffing other dogs poo and stuff but um but if you live somewhere where it's more prevalent then you have to be a lot more careful so take this advice on i think the critical period is for all dogs where in terms of the environment and how clean it is that's going to be there's going to have many variables across the globe so that's up to you to know where can you expose your dog? But if your puppy never gets to see traffic and a crowd of people and any dogs and what a horse is or, you know, um, kids running around, noisy playgrounds, walking past a construction site, if they don't experience that, then you may have a big chance of having a dog that's fearful and or has some sort of adverse reaction when they first encounter it. And then mm-hmm. that could be lifelong. Or it could be that in that critical period, it's not all just good things. If your puppy has a really bad experience, adverse experience in that first 17 weeks, that could also be lifelong as well. So make sure we socialize. Now in saying that, something that I probably didn't mention all those years ago is that now we've seen a situation of over-socialization. Every single puppy saying hi to every single dog that they see and every single person, every single thing. So then what happens is you have a German Shepherd, 12 months old, just busting at the end of the league because I have to say hi to that dog across the road. I just have to. I have to go up and go to play. Oh, my God, there's people over there. Let's go. So then what happens is the dog wants to say hi to everyone. And even though that's not the worst problem to have, I'd rather have that problem than, than a dog that's scared of every dog in person lunging and barking and trying to kill them. So here I would say you want to do this appropriately. So what I mean by that is, Really good advice is, of course, your puppy's out and about on a harness. We're going to talk about the harness in a moment. You're out and about. The puppy's experiencing the world. The walk is not about exercise. The walk is about exposure and being able to be habituated, which is things, so like objects and things. And socialization is about with living beings, people, dogs. And, you know, I guess there's a level of socialization when you see a bird fly next to you. You don't have to always chase it. Or does that go into habituation? I guess they probably cross over, right? Mm. Um but it doesn't matter. We want to get them out and about as much as you can, making neutral experiences with other dogs, not just positive ones. So, for example, I've got a puppy and the dog's walking past. And as they're walking past, the puppy's busting, wants to go and say hello. You have a few options. Number one is just do nothing and let the puppy watch the dog go by and not make a big deal. Another one would be get your puppy's attention, make a little bit of a fun game, play some luring games. You shouldn't do one or the other. You should kind of be doing all of this. Sometimes we do nothing. Sometimes we play. Otherwise, your puppy come, becomes so obsessed about playing with you every time it sees a dog that then that be, doesn't become a problem, but it's just a bit of a nuisance. And if your puppy's in so much food drive out and about, they're so focused on, on the food and your games that they're not really absorbing what's happening around them. So that could be another problem as well. So I guess when it comes to all the advice we give, as always, it's always general in nature. That's why having a trainer will kind of go through everything, ins and outs. Well, while we're saying this, there's so many caveats and variables of everything that we say. It's like, what are you saying? Yeah, well, nothing, nothing's as black and white as that, right? Even down to like the, you know, the the vet's advice compared to the trainer's advice. Like it's a balance of, it's a game of probability. So like the probability of a poorly or under-socialized dog developing some kind of behavioral issue down the line, that probability, I would argue, is much higher than the probability of a, you know, under 16 weeks and therefore like hasn't had its third vax. The probability of that dog, let's say in Metro Sydney, catching some kind of disease, if you're doing the right thing and staying hard surfaces, staying away from dog pool, that kind of thing, much, much lower. So I would always take the risk that's lower. So as in the sense of like, I, you know, I would socialize the dog and not be like hiding it from the world just because it hasn't had its third vax. Well, another thing about that is that, which is like, I guess a new variable is the leptospirosis outbreak in like the middle of the city has actually become an issue. And I think now my client who had a puppy maybe a year, two years ago, he lives in Marrickville. Um, that puppy got leptospirosis and I, and I think it died from it. So that's that's maybe one thing to consider is that new things happen. We had a big like rat and m- mice um, outbreak a couple of years ago, which means- What caused that? Was that all the wet weather or- I think it was, yeah. And there's still 
it's still occurring. I don't know how prevalent it is. So it's another thing. And that's not because we're super rural and there's more like, you know, less people vaccinating dogs and more wild animals and things like that. But we're talking in the middle of the CBD, the concrete jungle, and they're getting them from rats. So there is a vaccine for leptospirosis. I'm pretty sure as well that I saw recent news that there's like a, um, that they've like a shortage of that vaccine and people are freaking out. So, um, so anyway, that's, um, that's about getting your puppy out and about socialize and be reasonable, have some common sense. If it was me, the first week or two is puppies on a harness and we're walking up and down the street. We're staying on the concrete. He sees people walk past, you know, my neighbor's got a fully vaccinated adult dog who's calm and relaxed. He hangs out with him. Yeah. He sees the other young dog across the road. They have a bit of a play on the long lead. Sometimes we see a dog cross the road. I get my dog's attention. We play. We do some fun um, fun activities with me and my dog so my dog can still engage with me while there's other dogs around. You want to be reasonable with how you socialize. It's not about just saying hello to everyone, which is um, which can be very frustrating when you don't want to say hello to people and their dogs. And they're like, but my puppy has to say hello. Otherwise, I can't keep walking. And it's like, well, that's a you problem, not a me problem. Don't let your puppy jump on my dogs. So, um. So talking about the harness, I was recommending back in the day the Spawn Ultimate the harness. Clip. I think, yeah, I, th- mm. I think I think it was called that. Um, since then, like, and actually, I do see some clients that have listened to the old episodes, bought the one online. I'm like, it's not a bad harness, but I've changed because since because when we first did that, the Rogs um, Rogs didn't have this style of harness out, so now they call it the Rogs Control harness, I believe, and it's got the option of clipping onto the chest and onto the back. And it's a H-style harness, which means a puppy won't slip out of it so easily yeah. with those step-in harnesses. They can't pop it like a T-shirt. Oh, those step-in harnesses kill my life. Um, and they got so, so many cool- explain the H. So, it's like, if you look at it from the top of the dog, it looks like a H. So, basically, like, there's a strap around the f- the chest and then a strap around, the, I guess, the hind part or, like, the guts. And both of those straps are adjustable. So, like, you can make that-, that um, you know, that circumference, I guess, would be you can make that smaller so that there's yep. no way for the dog to like shrug the harness. Those ones that um like the cheaper ones generally they only adjust at the back, is it? Yeah, only it's at the, the step-in harnesses and, in yeah, the back. The front, and they're not necessarily front, cheaper. Well, yeah, but like yeah. the the front part of it is generally fixed, which means if, for example, if you you know, if the dog is the puppy is really young and the and the harness is like a little bit too big, you can't adjust that front part. The well, dog can hit the brakes and like pop it. Exactly that. And also there's only two points of contact on the step in. So they can it's only like on each shoulder. So there's nothing happening around the head. So it pops off. Where with this um with the ROGS control harness, um, and any H style harness, it's got the head goes in something separate. You can adjust the shoulders and around the girth of the dog. So it really sits onto the dog. And they can still, like, if you're not paying attention, puppies and dogs can still get out of a harness, but a lot harder to get out of the H harness. And also the good thing about rogs is that they have the small, which is actual small, like a little tiny puppy puppy, like a little tiny teacup thing. You can put the um, their small harness on all the way up until, like, extra large, which I only stock up to large because sometimes you've got a German Shepherd, four months old, I, I like to have the puppies up until six months old on the harness. And then from six months onwards, we go into a training collar. And I do that for a few different reasons. First of all, puppies developing. I don't want to be putting any pressure on their neck while they're walking. Not so much for them having some sort of injury or health issue. More so because you're just the fully desensitizing a puppy yeah. to pulling. As well as they're teething and they're growing and they don't know consequences of like, stay next to me, follow leash pressure. Like that's too much. All I want a puppy to be experiencing on the walk is- there's a world that I need to see and I get to have some confidence going back and forth and going up and down, having a smell. Like I want them to have more freedom for confidence building. Are there any so, examples um, where you would put the training collar, training leash on earlier than six months, for example, like a larger breed? Um, look, if I f- feel like the clients are competent and they're like, they've got a decent handling skill and the dog's kind of switched on and not like too adolescent, like not too like, immature, um, yeah, for sure. But sometimes I say, wait it out a little bit, just put him on the front clip of the harness. Yeah. It pulls him off. It's not the most effective thing. It can be quite effective for some puppies. Like they never, ever pull on the front clip. Once you clip it onto the chest, it pulls them off balance, clip it onto the back of the harness, encourages them to pull. As you pull back, it pushes them in, like they push into the harness. So harnesses are, are just for people that are like, what's the difference? Clip it onto the back of the harness will encourage them to pull really hardly. 
really hardly, my gosh, really hard onto the, onto the chest. It will pull him off balance. But then most dogs just learn to walk sideways up the street. I would say, look, at five months old, should we put the slip lead on and teach the puppy? I'm like, mm, he's still teething and stuff. Like sometimes I'd say, let's do it. I think you are ready for it. And, and I also tell them when you are starting it, have the harness on, have the slip lead, have both so that if you feel like throughout the walk, you want to give the dog a puppy a bit more freedom, you can. Hey guys, it's Luke. Uh, I just wanted to take a moment out of the podcast to thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, obviously, we don't just do this show just to hear our own voices. We love the fact that you guys take the time out of your day to listen to our episodes each and every week. And on that note, if you are enjoying it, we'd really appreciate it if you took a moment to leave us a review or a rating on your favorite podcast listening app. So whether that's Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you could hit pause on this episode and, and go and leave a review or a rating on the platform that you're listening into, we'd really appreciate it. It helps other people like yourself find the podcast uh, and helps us to reach more listeners and, and hopefully grow the show and grow the community around it. So we'd really appreciate it if you could. And thanks for listening. I just say you've got so many years to teach loose lead walking, unless it's like there's a specific situation yeah. where we can't, I would say typically, or some people just, you know, they don't listen to me and they just put the puppy on a flat collar and let them walk. I'm like, whatever. Um, if you show that little interest, then I can only give you as much as I can. Yeah. So, um, but then when it's, it's ready. Advice at the end of the day, it's not, yeah, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's up look, to them whether they do it or not. And then if I tell them to put a martingale on and show the puppy how to walk, like, ah, I think it's just, it gets too messy. It gets too confusing. And also yeah. it limits the dogs. Um, like we want so much manners from such a young dog, but then it kind of cripples them a little bit. Um, you brought up something interesting just there about like, you know, the dog's young, that kind of thing. Like you've got so many years. I think that's a good segue is like the topic of, letting at a certain level, like being, letting puppies just grow up, you know, yeah. like it, I feel like, I don't know what it is, whether it's like social media culture or whatever, but I think people sometimes misunderstand how, you know, or overestimate how quickly a dog should develop in terms of its obedience and that kind of thing. Like, the, you know, you get the dog at, let's say eight weeks, Six months is what's that? 24, 24 weeks of age. So that's what's that? That's sixteen weeks. You have the dog, four months, right? Yep. Four months you have the dog before you're really going to put any kind of formal obedience on them. Like that's a long time. But and even um, six months could be like early. To, yeah, for the some. dog has to like just grow up. It's it's not like for sure about turning them into little trick monkeys too well, soon. I I think what happens is the puppies, like people that are keen. So people are keen. Like oh my god, look, four months old. He's really getting it. So I think subconsciously they're not, they're like, there's not, it's not like a conscious thing of let's put more criteria on the puppy. It's just that, well, the puppy's smart. Look, let me just give him more like rules to follow. And it's like, Meh. but then now you're like going to cripple his development by asking so much of him that he's not ready for. Just like, for example, the more competent you are with your peer group or with your family, the more heavy phone calls you get. So the more responsible you are, the more responsibilities you tend to, where if you seem more, like less responsible and less competent, you get less heavy phone calls. So as the puppy <laughs> becomes more competent, you're like, well, look at you. I'm going to now show you how to, how to be. So I would say holding out on that, just let them be a puppy, enjoy puppyhood in a way. A dog doesn't fully mature until three years old. The brain stops developing at three years old. So oh, he's fully developed at three. So that six months is like, yes, we can start obedience training, but even then, like, we don't want to expect too much from them and put too much pressure on them because we can, like, flatten them out, make them, um, well, I'm going to say resent the training, but they don't resent the training, but they just don't feel as, like, like happy. You not know, you keen. want them, yeah. not as keen. You, want, you don't want to be expecting too much of them. So, and of course, this goes different for every dog. Like, for example, I just saw a client about a month ago, six-month-old dog, still scared of, like, outside. He's just one of those dogs that's got, got massive phobias. So I'm like, you're letting this puppy pull you. I don't care. He's going to get big. He's pulling you like a maniac. Now, it's been like since that since that session, so much more confidence. Now he's like, bro, he's pulling me like a champ, like to everything. And I'm like, that's cool. Now, slip he goes on. Now we start establishing some manners. So it's it, it changes between the dog. But, um, but, yeah, it's important as well. Like just as much as we're trainers and we want dogs to do stuff, there's only moments of training. Like you're only doing like three to five 
you know, five-minute sessions with the puppy throughout the day. There's so much living to do. Go to the park on a long lead and let them run. Run with them, play with them, show them how to engage together and do do that stuff as well as teaching them how to be because- That's a good point too, the long leash. Like I think um, that's an example of a piece of equipment that will give you a lot of freedom without having to necessarily obsess over- for example, teaching a recall too early. Like, you know, say like the dog's had its vaccines by 16 weeks. Okay, cool. Now it's pretty sweet to go and get in, you know, get into the dirt and the mud and whatever. Put it on a long leash. Like, it's like, oh, when do I teach my dog a recall? It's like, not yet. Just put him on a long leash. Let him enjoy the park. Like, give sure. him five, five to 10 meters of leash. And yep. in the dog's mind, that's as good as being off leash anyway. Exactly. Oh, another thing as well, which would have definitely been a change, is that I used to feed, I used to use Frankfurts as treats. Now I exclusively only use Prime One Hundred, which is a dog roll. And these guys need to sponsor me. I need to reach out to them. Um, <laughs> a, a dog roll, and I use the wild boar and the turkey just for people that have access to it, just because it's less crumbly. Chicken and stuff is very crumbly, very hard to cut up into small little tiny pieces. And that can actually be, like it's quite nutritional food. You can actually feed that as a meal to your dog and your dog's not going to get sick where you're not going to use Frankfurt's as a meal. That would only be a treat. So if you're out in the park, you've got some high value food on you or you've got some of your puppy's meal in your pocket, you call your puppy to come. Obviously, we're going to get into the teach your puppy how to learn in a second. Once we teach them the command and we're out and about and we happen to give it here and there and your puppy happens to get some high value food or some high or value game in with you, you should pay that as well. Exactly. So good point. We don't have to like, oh, but how do I get my puppy to come back to me? It's like he never got away he, from He me. will come back. Yeah. Well, that as well as have him on the leash so he doesn't run away. Yeah. Like, like, like I take him off the lead. How do I get him back to me? I'm like, well, probably shouldn't have him off the leash. That's exactly uh, where we, the point I was making about the long leash. Like yeah. just leave him on the long leash. And at some point he's got his five to 10 meters and he comes back and checks in with you and you go, hey, that was good, man. Like here's exactly. some prime 100 and like show him that's your- Show him that that's his uh, meal. So you don't then go home and give him another bowl of food separate to that. It's like that was his food. So we can talk about that a bit more, I guess, the existential food side of things as well. Yeah. So like I guess some people feel really reluctant to go there because it's like more for slack or something's going on. Um, You can go two ways with feeding your dog. You can feed your puppy from the bowl and then just some of the food that your puppy will get from training, it kind of comes out of the rations of food, but it won't be the kibble. You could use the Prime 100 when you're out and about. So your dog gets fed from the bowl and then you're using some high value food as extra food for training. You just want to overfeed your dog. That's why I say, if you know you're going to give certain amount of Prime, just feed them a little bit less of their meal or your puppy gets their meal from training. So I guess we'll talk about teaching a puppy how to learn. You want to we're not teaching a puppy a recall, a downstay, a bed command because they have to do it. They have to do it when they're old enough. We start addressing that six, seven months and onwards, just like the lucid walking. And around that, before then, we're just making fun games. I've got your food in. Look, of course, you can have your dog, your puppy doing heaps cool stuff. But if they don't do it or if they break it too early, they're not getting like in trouble for it and, you know, providing too much pressure on them. We're just asking them to do it. If they don't do it, no, we're going to start it again. We'll practice it again. We're just having fun. If you can teach a puppy how to learn, you can teach them to be more obedient with more manners with that foundation later on. One thing that I do say, even for a young puppy, and I just took a video of it today, I'll put it up on, on stories, is... Um, you have your puppy out. He's um, so little Murphy saw um, Chili. He's sniffing, kind of Chili sniffing him, whatever. And I'm like, Murphy, he looks at me, mark and reward. Just like what you're saying before. I, all I ask for a puppy in the, up until four months old is I really don't even ask him to do any sits or down or come when we're out and about. All I want is I say your name, you look at me, I pay you. I say your name, you look at me, I pay you. Get focus, get engagement, get your puppy into you. Rather than going, oh, now you're looking at me, sit and down and look and this. And the puppy's like, yeah, whatever, I'm out of here. I'm going to go smell that stick and chase the butterfly. So you only want to make it short and sweet. Get focused first. Get your puppy into you. Then you can start layering in everything else. Your puppy training, there's like the three things that we cover is expose your puppy to the world, good management inside and outside of the house, and teaching them how to learn. That is a foundation for all the good stuff to come. So you're in this perfect time now if you have a puppy listening to this you're laying a good foundation and management's your friend. That's why there's leashes. That's why we have pens and crates. It's why we have doors in our house so we can ma- manage our things and then we can train them as as life goes on. So, um, 
Was there something else I was going to say about 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 that about the food? I think that's good. That's pretty much it. Um, there's a couple more points. How far are we I in mean, on in this? terms of the food? <laughs> yeah, right, cool. guys, see you later. Yeah, see you. Boom. <laughs> we have more to talk about. Um, yeah, look, obviously there's heaps heaps of stuff, and um, it's hard to put everything all at once. We want to give you a good general overview. As I said, the main reason for this because we haven't done puppy thing in so long, and it's like we all it was like the about second puppies. episode we ever did. Second, I think or third. third one. Yeah, third it was actually one. before I even had shadows. So yeah, it was really cool to listen. Ago. Yeah, if you guys go back and listen to it, you can see when Luke was asking the questions about like completely raw and fresh and had no idea about any of it. Yeah, and I was there teaching, and that was really cool, cool times. And it's so cool to see the evolution of us grow over the last four years or whatever. Um, which is really I, would, fun. I would hope we're not. The, I would hope we're not the same people we were for you know four and a half years ago. Crazy Actually, stuff, huh? I think it's like pretty much exactly four years because I think we started it in August. So yeah, I have to wow. check that on Podbean. This could I'm be our birthday. Sure it was, could be our birthday today. Um, keep going. I'm going to look that out while you're talking. Whoever's listening, we can accept any um presents. Just um <laughs> send them along. Um, but um yeah, four years have been crazy time. Look, I was speaking to um to someone the other day and you know like oh man this is the podcast been enjoying i'm like thanks really appreciate it getting heaps of feedback so it's really really lovely to hear that but um but besides 16th of august to 2019 what's today the 8th okay yeah. so it's like four years minus a week well basically. this will be released because we got one already released so this one's going to get released probably on the birthday yeah right that'd there be cool or thereabouts. all right and then that's awesome all right so um yeah anyway basically another thing that makes a podcast worth it for me on a personal level is that I get to categorize a topic, just a passing thought that enters my brain. I write it down, write a few little notes about it. It becomes a topic of conversation and it's relevant, obviously, but more important, I get to intimately understand that topic more so I can relate it to another thing. And obviously doing the work with, with dogs every day, it's deepening my own knowledge about myself because sometimes you don't know what you know until you start talking about it. And when you're in a session, it's kind of on the fly. It's like it's a passing comment. And we're here, we get to kind of go a little bit deeper and take people mm-hmm. on the journey. So um, that's been really fun. So thank you, everyone, for listening to us so we can continue doing what we're doing so we can continue to develop, right? Um, all right. So another thing I want to talk about was fear periods. We've discussed it as well somewhere in, in our podcast. You can go and, and, and check that out again to, for more info. But as a general, what is a fear period? There's no real like science on it to say, between this date and this date, your puppy will have a fear period. It's just, it happens up until I think like the first, like I've heard like up until nine months, but I think more, you see more prevalent within the first like five months in my experience anyway. And i um, happy for people to correct me if I'm wrong, but um, a fear period goes for like about a week or two sometimes where your puppy just out of, it seems like out of nowhere, just scared of us of certain things. Like, Every day we walk past, you know, the same, um, you know, you know, what's those like, you know, there's um, in front of like car salesmen, they have like the big egg. Oh, the, the, the wavy, <laughs> the wavy noodle man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, let's just say you walk past that every day and then one day your puppy just trips out on it and then for like a week doesn't want to get anywhere near it. But then you notice you just don't walk past it for a couple of days and then, you know, two weeks after the initial time you saw this the dog was scared of it, walked past it, didn't even really care about it. It's like, what is that? Why would that happen? Or, and that that's the most randomest example. Fear period could be like around other dogs, people. It could be over certain situations. And it coincides with their development. And as far as I know, as you're developing and becoming more aware, awareness is, um, we'll say like non-binary. Like it's not one, as like awareness isn't just good. Awareness is also bad because you're now more aware of things. You see them more. And if you see them more and acknowledge them more, you have more room inside you to be happy about it or sad and scared about it. So as a puppy develops, just like you're going to see with Mia, she's going to, if you get that app where it has like the cloudy days um, on the things like, oh, we're going to have like a sleep regression over the next four days. And Mm -hmm. it's pretty accurate. Well, that sleep regression, shitty nights of sleep coincides with another development leap, which means now she has fine motor skills or What's now the app she called? can- I got to go to download this. I'll write this down and get, I'll ask Tanya and she'll- um, Thanks bro. I have noticed good. in the afternoons, Rach calls it witching hour. There's like a certain hour. It's like uh, maybe like, I don't know, like four or five o'clock. She just yep. kind of gets like randomly grumpy for no reason. It's very strange. I'm talking about the baby, not Rach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, and apparently because she's got a little mother's group and they, they all say the same thing. So, like, I think witching it's hours amazing. They eh? like how the body just has that biological clock in it, regardless. Like, what's t- what is time to a baby? Like, they're hungry exactly. or they're not. They're awake or they're not. For There's sure. no such thing as time, right? But she just seems to know that a certain time each day, she just feels like a little bit fussy or something like that. And dogs yeah. are the same, right? Like, it's not like totally. a dog knows what time of day it is. They just learn to expect certain things at a certain point in exactly. the day. Yep, hundred percent. But look, with this, um, we're like with the witching hour, that happens like zoomies for the dog, right? So, like, normally I'm like, oh, so it happens between seven and seven thirty. It's like, yeah, and like after they eat, yeah, it's always the same. It's usually puppy eats, and we let us face it, most people feed their puppy around six, six thirty. Puppy's digested, done away, boom, big energy, ah, let's go. Everyone's at home, everyone's here because everyone's finished the day of work. So, this is the time where I'm most active. I'm running around like, like a spastic, all crazy, intense, boo, 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 boo. and then that's when the puppy starts getting a bit tired. You probably have to do something with the puppy. So, um, that's like a daily schedule, like a daily routine. But, like, this fear period thing is like more like as you become more um, developed, your brain, like, mm. and for humans, it's like the brain is sore. Like the brain is sore from growing and that's why they can't sleep, um, which is fascinating. And um, But that app is like, I swear from for Leonardo, it was like to the day. Really accurate, eh? Okay. And then like the next day, it's like sunny days, we're good, no problem. And it's like, oh mm. my God. And, and it's like, you see some some of those leaps and gnarly. The, and it's like, it is a price. Like the, it always reminds me of that quote that Alan Watts says, and I've definitely said this a billion times here, is there's a price to be paid with every increase in consciousness. You can't be more sensitive to pleasure without being more sensitive to pain. Mm. So the price of consciousness for our bulbs is as they grow up and they become and like a new development's happening, we're going to become more developed in in just everyday life, like seeing further than 30 centimeters, being able to pick something up, saying something with your mouth. Well, each of those developments comes at the cost of bad sleep, this, that, disruptions. And remember once on the app you look in like two weeks' time, oh my gosh, that's a 21-day <laughs> like Clouds. cloud. Like, huh, like yeah. the whole month is, is bad. So just um, quickly on the topic of zoomies, you reminded me of something that I wanted to talk about and I hadn't written it down, but um, arousal levels inside versus outside the house. I think this is something mm. that some puppy owners um, may not be super aware of. I think it's important, very important to show the dog from a young age. The, and, and like either way, you've got to decide. Do you want a dog that's ar- highly aroused inside? That's up to you. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life with your dog. I can tell you how I live my life with my dog as a trainer. And like, if you want to take that advice for sure. So like for shadow, we do not play in the house. There's no, there's no ball that he can have his Kong. That's, that's it. There's no tug. There's nothing else. Um, I've never thrown a ball for him inside any, any, any tug, anything like that. That all happens outside the house. And I think for some puppy owners, they, may not even be realizing what they're setting up when they start playing with the dog inside the house. What 100%. are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, like we've got a master castle. Your house is like a Zen temple. And same with me. My dog's coming to the house. There is no expectation of any play except for you lay on your bed, nothing happens. Now, of course, I'm not, I don't have a 12-week-old puppy in my house. If I'm bringing the puppy into the house, into my dwelling, into my living space or outside of that pen, um, this is the only time where you could put the leash, like a little tiny lead, and get like a couple of cat leads from the reject store. So like if they chew them up, it doesn't matter, they're like three bucks each, and you can whack onto the little flat collar. Inside the house, they're buzzing around. You've got the leash on, you can step on it if they're in the wrong place or if you need to move them on or whatever. Have your puppy under some sort of control in your house. And of course, like you're going to snuggle your puppy and kind of like low-level kind of personal play, but it's nothing too serious. As you said, we're not throwing balls. We're not, t- we're not doing massive training sessions in the house. I want the house to be bland and boring. If you want to do exciting things, it's in the backyard, the front yard, out in the complex, in the driveway, somewhere. But your house, as you said, has to become the most calmest place for your puppy. And that's, so that that's that condition state again. So that it's the same yeah. as what we're talking about earlier. Like if you teach the dog, if you show him from a young age, like- you will go in the crate when you're already tired. Eventually what happens is he goes in the crate and then he feels tired or he feels calm. He feels sleepy. It's the same thing with the, in the house. So like shadow has never experienced that high level of arousal inside these four walls. So he doesn't even know it exists. And the dog's a blank book, right? Like whatever you show the dog from day one, whether that's being in the crate, whether that's sleeping in the backyard, like he knows no different. So just remember that and think more long-term, like think 
how do I actually want to live my next 10 to 15 years with this dog? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's like not just the next three to six months that he's a cute little puppy and there's things that you could be doing in that time that may have long-term effects that you may not have necessarily um, thought about. And then when they do happen, like, you know, and they continue to happen down the line, you might decide that that wasn't what you wanted. Definitely. Yeah. Very, very good points. And, um, you know, it's okay. So last jumping week, is another example of that. Yeah. Jumping on the couch, jumping up on you. Well, like jumping it, up, it, jumping he, up specifically. Jump, puppy jumps on you, you pat them, you give them love. And then you or you your know, mates or your family. For sure. You want to make sure that you set up the right expectation and, 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 and assess your expectations, not too high, not too low, like be reasonable. If the puppy is acting out, you know, like, and we can talk about biting um, as well. It's a similar situation. You don't, I don't rock up to the session in session two, um, puppy's four months old. And I ask, so how are you going with stopping the biting? I ask the question, how are you going with managing the biting? You've got mm. a couple of, and, and we go into at length at, at, in the other episodes about how to manage the biting. We're not going to go in, into that now. Listen to those other episodes. All you have to do when you're listening to this um, puppy episode, you want to listen to more puppy development and training advice. All you have to do is type in puppies 101 in our search bar and all of those, um, we've kept them all grouped up with that title. So that way it's easier for you puppy owners to to listen to. But, um, but yeah, inside the house, Clients last week got an 11-month-old Staffy, English Staffy, cool little thing, firecracker. But um, my question was because like, she's intense and everything they're explaining is like, yeah, there's not enough management in the house. The dog just runs the runs a market. It's hilarious mm. and also problematic, right? So I'm like, so how often do you like play, play with her? And she's like, oh, whenever she brings us a tug, we just play with her. But if we don't decide to play with her because we're working from home and she brings a tug and we ignore her, she will like literally like nip us on the butt to like literally get us a play. And I'm like, so let me guess, when she nips you, you just throw the tug, just let her leave you alone? And they go, yes. So I'm like, now you've taught the dog to bite you <laughs> on the butt so you can throw the you tug. You reinforce the behavior. And worse on top of that, not the fact that the, the dog's doing that. The fact is, is that the dog can determine when it plays and demands playing and it's happening in your house where it's all floorboards that and tiles that dog can like bust its legs at any time. It's, it's um, treating Slipping your house like sliding, it's a playground. Yeah. You know, your, your house is no longer yours in a way. And also it just becomes too crazy. So, yes, there are one-player games where the, the the puppy gets to chew its own toy and then you have other toys that you play with your puppy. So that way they're, they're um, inside of its pen. It can have like a one-player game and some toys in the backyard. But when it comes to like playing um, with a little tiny puppy, you don't want to be using like those ropey toys or like really too like too – dense and hard sort of um, objects. So what I would suggest is like a flannel bl flannelette blanket or a tea towel, cut three thin strips, plait it like you plait your hair. And I have like multiple of those little tugs around the house, even tying up a little bit of like clothesline rope. So that way there you've got something to drag it. So if your puppy comes and starts nibbling on you um, or like chewing on your shoes or biting you, you give them a little tiny poke and be like, oh, you knock it off because you're doing it till the puppy know. And you are allowed to correct a puppy if it's a, if if it's appropriate and your reaction is appropriate. A little uh, -uh little kind of like little poke to the root to be like, hey, stop that. Puppy's like, what's happening? And straight away, I grab the little tug and go, bite this instead. I don't want you to straight away go from biting, here, take the tug. So now you're teaching, bite my ankles, I give you tug. I want to interrupt it, a little tiny touch. And I'm not saying like ram your finger into a tree. Stop I mean, the like, behavior. Like a little pop, just a little bit. Okay, what happened? Ah, don't stop it. No smacking, just a little tiny poke and then grab a, um, a little tug and play with it. Otherwise, Put your puppy in the pen or put them in the backyard and not deal with it because oh, let them bite your clothes and destroy everything. So you have those options, but you want to be able to redirect that um, that energy and that and no that that would be a time where yes, you can play, but we're not doing structured playing. We're not throwing balls and doing that. So that's where there's like a bit of a an adjustment. I'm watching TV. We're hanging out. Puppy decides to nibble on me. Hey, come on, stop it. Bite this instead. And there's a bit of a game for sure, but we're not playing structured games in the house. Otherwise, you're going to have that 11-year-old dog going, let's play. Where what I want is to tell the dog, I tell you when we play, and we, we, we play in a form of a training session. That happens in the backyard, front yard, around the world. And then in turn, those commands become a reliable indication that we, we may be able to play now. Your dog digs you. And your commands because you have a relationship with work and play and fulfilling them. And you can see how everything marries up nicely if we follow the plan nicely, um, correctly.
Mm. I said nicely way too many times in that sentence. You can tell it's getting late in the night, right? So um, there's a couple more things and then I wanted to wrap up. But anything else about the biting and the tugging and playing in the house? No, I, I think like as an overall theme, I think think long-term or, or begin with the end in mind. I think you taught me that, right? Begin mm. with the end in mind. So it's like with everything that happens. So for example, um, playing in the house, um, the dog jumping up on you, these little things, they, they seem pretty innocuous, sort of innocent at the start. But like, if you have a large breed, you're, you know, your eight week old Labrador we right, we call German Shepherd. At some point, that dog's going to top out at 30, 35, 40 kilos. It's not so cute anymore when he's jumping up on you or your toddler or your friend's toddler or like anyone really. So if you don't want them to jump up, yeah, exactly. If you don't want them to do it when they're 40 kilos, don't let them do it when they're four kilos. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Any of those behaviors. 100%. Yeah. Um, toilet training is probably like the biggest issue that people have. Toilet training mm. advice hasn't really changed since we did an episode. So just simply type in toilet training on the podcast here if you're struggling with that. Yeah, we don't it need to get good advice. That. I'll give real quick advice about it is that your puppy wants to go to toilet after they eat, after the exercise, and as soon as they wake up. So take them to the appropriate place. Yeah. Number two, puppies don't want to go to toilet where they eat. So start feeding in the areas where you don't want them to go to toilet. And when they scatter are toilet, feed. Yeah. scatter feeding, putting the bowl in different areas. And be mindful of your puppy every 35 minutes, 45 minutes. Take the puppy to the desired place, backyard on the grass, on the grass mat. And then be proactive. Be proactive. Just got to watch your puppy. If you can't, I can't keep staring at my puppy panel. The general rule of thumb is uh, one hour for every month that they are old. So two, eight weeks is two months. Probably every two hours you want to think, okay, let's let's go and have an opportunity for toilet outside somewhere. Yeah, I'd go even less than that. But like what, even so more three frequent? months, three, well, then have five, four, five months, five hours. I don't know. Mm, I mean, like Shadow can hold his bladder now for. Yeah, but not a five months hours. old. Yeah. yeah, but all the time. Okay, yeah. Look, I would say at nighttime to sleep. And, and, and going back to the crate, the crate actually helps with all of this because it for teaches sure. the dog to hold its bladder. I would say, like, just to be safe, every, you know, every, depending on your puppy and your puppy's patterns, if, if it is two hours, your puppy can hold it, it's completely sweet. But if you haven't heard this advice before, I'd say every 45 minutes to an hour, just give them a chance to go to the toilet. As you feel that they can hold it longer and longer, they're making reasonable choices of where they toilet on pads and on the grass trays or going outside of the grass, then, then you can go accordingly. You, you can be guided intuitively with that. But, um, but definitely, if you're going to, you're cooking dinner and you can't keep, your eye on the puppy, cool. Puppy goes in the pen because in the pen, he's allowed to pee and poo wherever he wants. Ideally, he does it on the pee pad, but there's no like, there's no like rules about that. He's, that's his area. You just got to keep that clean. Have a mop bucket and a mop ready to go at all times. And, um, and that's all I'm going to talk about toilet training. Search more for that if you want more info. Um, and a couple of the last two are like a more like low level. I thought I'd add them in whether I've talked about them or not, but you have a little tiny puppy. You want to do the vet checks. Vet checks is as you're rub, um, giving your puppy a little bit of a massage or like a little bit of a rub, get your fingers in the ears, touching them around their eyes, you know, opening their mouth so you can see their teeth. Can you open their mouth? Fingers between you know, their pads. Or pads, touching the genital areas, putting your puppy kind of a little bit like not fully upside down, but like kind of like, you know, like cradling them so they can have their legs up in the air. So like there's a bit of trust in you, you know, and while you're doing that, touch the ears. Yes. Mark and reward. Touch their mouth. Yes. Mark and reward. Mm-hmm. As you're touching like the sensitive part, the pup's like, hey, what are you doing there? Hey, okay, yes. Oh, good. You know, just getting them desensitized and conditioned to being touched. So when they're sore or when they're injured or when they're um, need a vet check by a stranger. Oh, like, yeah. Nail care too. That's another one. Yeah. Nail care. Oh my God. What a, I hate doing that. Um, so you want to be able to do all of that and making sure that your puppy's not sensitive. You're going to touch my ears again. I'll bite you. And you want to be doing these vet checks, you know, once, twice a week. So you can keep an eye on your puppy's condition. Where, where's he at? You've got little lumps and bumps or cuts or, you know, any infections or things going on or any sensitivities with their leg, their joints. So that's very important. And when you are out and about, something that can be really beneficial is while your puppy's on the harness and you're out in the walk, find a spot, tether your puppy up and walk a meter or two away and just wait until your puppy stops freaking out that you're one or two meters away from them. Walk back up, feed and reward. If they're calm and comfortable, you can take them off the tether and continue walking or you can do that for up to like five minutes at a time. Once every two or three walks, you could do it once every walk if you're that keen, get your puppy used to being tethered so you can walk a couple of meters away and tend to somebody and go into a shop and, you know, um, 
watch the game. You can tether your puppy up and hang out with your kids and play in the playground. Then at least your puppy knows, oh, I'm tethered up here. I've got to wait here. I'm a little tiny baby. At first, I'm going to carry on and, you know, protest and bite the leash and do all of that stuff. But an extinction burst will occur. Behavior gets more intense before it stops. You do this for the next couple of months. Then you have a little cool puppy that can kind of be unattended, not fully unattended. You're still supervising, but you're not right next to your puppy. You're out and about and your puppy doesn't have this separation anxiety of like, oh my gosh, I have to freaking be with you. I want the puppy to be able to have a bit of separation. So that way the the more your puppy sound by being tethered and you can go different places, your puppy goes more places, your puppy's more calmer in more places. And then your dog eventually, as they get older, gets to have more experiences and becomes more part of the family. So I think one one last thing, um, if, you know, if you're sort of even half thinking that you might not want to be the one who washes and grooms your dog for the rest of its life, I'd probably recommend you have like one visit to the groomers towards the end of the um, the critical period. So maybe what, I don't know, 16 weeks or something like that. A Especially positive, those oodle, oodle yeah, breeds. Yeah, a positive experience. And at just the, the face, just the face and the paws, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Just get them used to that because you don't, again, like the general theme of the critical period is like good or bad or lack of experiences. So good experiences, bad experiences, or no experience, like as in experiences that were missing, that those things can generalize and like, you know, that can cause issues down the line. So if the dog's never seen the groomer and you take it at 24 or 30 weeks of age, it's like, hey, what the hell is this? This isn't part of the deal. Could be trouble. Could be harder. Oh, another thing, puppy blues is a real thing, and I, and I see a lot of people that have that first two weeks, the first three weeks can be like legit depressing. Like, oh my god, I really love this puppy, but like my whole routine's out of whack. I'm not getting sleep. Um, I'm I'm so worried about leaving the puppy alone while I go to work, or you know, all these different things. If you're going to go to work, just side note, you're putting the puppy in the pen or in a secure area where the puppy can't get into trouble, and you can't put a camera on it just to kind of make yourself feel happy if you want to go check in on it. But um, but in saying that, puppy blues the thing. People get real down and out when they have a puppy because so many routines have changed. It's kind of overwhelming. You're researching, you're listening to podcasts. You're like, I want to do this right. People give me advice. I got trainers, whatever. There's so much going on, so much of a disruption of your everyday life that you may not feel as happy as you thought you would feel. So that first couple of weeks, maybe a month, keep an eye on your own mental health and where you're at. Have support. Ask questions. Yeah. You can reach out to us as well if you if you need be, to talk. Be, be realistic about the process that you're going through. Yeah, like how puppies a lot of work. There's a lot of work. And that first two weeks, that first month, but in particular, that first two weeks, oh, my God, hell week, right? I think Glenn Cook calls it um, hell week. <laughs> um, I think it's a two week, so hell two week. Um, but it's like it's not fun, especially hell if you're sleeping. And, yeah, hell fortnight. That's right. Um, I'm missing all my vocabulary tonight, aren't I? <laughs> um, but, um, but do all the right things, setting your puppy up for success, baby steps. I hope today's episode's given you a lot of clarity. And if people are listening and have listened to the other puppy episodes, because I'd recommend all my puppy clients to listen to the episodes. I've got another episode to add to the recommendation list. So if you're listening to this um, and you've listened to other episodes, you can see maybe there's some changes. There's a lot of, obviously a lot of the things are the same. Um, At any time you have any feedback for us, please um, send it through. Even if it's something like Panos, you say I'm too much or whatever. I'm open for heaps of feedback. I want to make sure the show keeps getting better. And um, if you have any questions um, or anything that we can improve or we can discuss um, more for it. You know, another thing that I would like to do, and I'm going to put, and I've thought about it, but now saying it into the microphone means that we have to do it, is like maybe once every like few episodes, we do like a breed characteristics episode. So um, we choose like three different breeds and we can just spit some raw info about um, our own experiences as well as like some research that we do. And I think we can start talking about different breeds. I think that'd be really yeah. cool. And um, maybe put it this way, uh, the first three breeds, I want a, I want a listener's choice. So whoever's listening, want to hear about three different breeds, um, send that in to us. Um, however, through DMs Instagram, DM Instagram. or um, life with your dog podcast at gmail.com. Or even on our website, if you go life with your dog podcast.com, um, there's an inquiry form there just on the on the website. Just put your message there and it comes to us. And, um, and I want to say thank you to the people who've been leaving um, ratings and reviews, particularly seems we're getting more on Spotify. So that's great. Thank you um, so much. Thank you, guys. Helps um, a lot. I mean, just time. listening, we appreciate that. But, you know, taking 10 seconds to click a button on Spotify, like um, that's also pretty cool. Thank you. Um, if you are on Spotify 
uh, it's actually really easy to find all the um, different themed episodes. So, for example, like you can go into any podcast. So, let's say ours, for example, and at the top, there's a thing there that says find in this show. So, there's like a search bar just for that show. So, you can go to our show and then you can type in, for example, like um, I guess puppy or puppies. And it basically, yeah, brings up all the puppy episodes. Perfect. Yeah. That's awesome. Another thing as well about Spotify is if you do want to leave us a review, but you have to listen, it has to prove that you've listened to the show. I think one or three episodes you need to listen to. Yeah. So um, if you went to go give us a a review or rating and it asked you to listen more, then now you've probably listened to enough. Go back and give us that five stars. Now you're a legit. Now you can- and you can also do that on Apple Podcasts because those um, reviews and ratings really help get more people listening to the show and more exposure because, you know, there's quite a bit of competition of podcasts and different things to listen to. And we're trying to um, compete for people's attention for more than an hour the at, attention at some stage. Economy. You know, so we want to um, make sure that we just at least people can know that we exist and then it's up to them to download whatever they want to. Sweet. All right. That was fun. Thanks. Thanks, boys and girls. As you know, always. I've been I've been meaning to do this for so long, and a little bit of that little t- not heaps, but a little tiny pressure has just been released from me, and I just yeah. feel really good that we've got that done. Feels good. All right, much love to you all. Thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen. And until next time, see you guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life with Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at np underscore dog underscore training, my website, npdogtraining.com, or my YouTube channel, Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening, guys. My name's Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www. Kizuna, that's K-I-Z-U-N-A, canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, dot com, dot A-U. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Kizuna Canine Training. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.